as a 15, 16 year old, I went out and I just ordered this bag of Thuramix. And my dad came up to the feed room and he said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's this fantastic new feed. You know, it's got everything in it. You don't have to put any chaffs, you know, there's nothing. He said, send it back. And I said, but why? He said, who wants to be in charge of feeding your horse, you or a total stranger? Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. And we're also making the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people. And this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders past, present and emerging for keeping the sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you love this podcast, then I'd like you to consider a few ways that you might like to support it. In order to bring the podcast back to weekly shows, we need the support of patrons. So if you're able to give as little as $5 per month to support the production costs of the podcast, then please head over to this website, patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast. You know, a small amount from you each month makes a massive difference to me and this podcast. I have shown the goals in Patreon as to how much it costs per month for production. So head on over there and subscribe, whatever amount you can afford. You can also follow us on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Eden River Equestrian is the handle for all of those. You can also leave me a review on my Facebook page or on the podcasting app that you're listening on right now. All of these things help. You could also go and have a look at the amazing range of sustainable organic products for sale on my website, EdenRiverEquestrian.com. And if you sign up for the newsletter on that page, you get $10 off your first order. I have another great episode for you today. However, first, I need to tell you about our new Patreon members. A massive heartfelt thank you to Amanda Phillips, Liz A. Rich, I God, I hope I said that right, Liz. I'm very sorry if I didn't. And Peter Papp. Peter is someone who you'll hear me speak about each show as he's a small business patron. Peter does something pretty awesome. His business is Peter and the Herd. He works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery, equine communication, human and horse relationship building. So he does a lot of things. He does some really interesting things. And he shared some stories with me about the horses and humans he's helped. This is one of them as an example of what you might be able to work with Peter in. He had a woman who contacted him as she was bucked off her horse. She got a trainer out to see what the horse um, was going on with the horse and the trainer said there was nothing wrong. So she rode him again and a few weeks later was bucked off again. 
This time she got a different trainer and they also said there was nothing wrong with him. So she was now, as you can imagine, really frightened and and considering selling her horse. Peter went to see her horse and let me state he can do this virtually with photos as well, which he's doing for my horse right now. He asked the lady what she was doing just before he bucked and they determined he was whipped to go faster just before bucking. He asked the horse what was going on. The horse didn't feel like being ridden that day, but the rider was pushing. The crop brought back bad memories from his race days, and he thought he left those behind. Anyway, she confirmed his mood and things for the day and and realised that that was probably what was going on. And the second time she got thrown off was because of his bad experience from her the first time. Well, that's what the horse said. So Peter told him that she was very sorry and she said she will never use the crop again and that she loved him and he was a heart horse and made sure that he knew he was heard and very much loved by her. And he also gave the client tools to sort her energy out before she would go to him as she was very scared of him by this time. And now she has been riding him, taking it at his pace and with no dramas at all. And she's gone from being very scared and wanting to sell him to having another five horses. So be careful if you work with Peter. You might get very, very confident around horses. And he's really proud of her and what she's been able to do. So that's just an example of one thing that one person that Peter's worked with. But uh, do connect with him. You can find Peter on both Facebook and Instagram under Peter and the Herd. The links are in the show notes. In this episode, I speak with Antoinette Foster from High Form Australia. Antoinette is an equine nutritional therapist, medical herbalist, and also does nutritional therapy genetics, as well as so many other things. In this interview, we speak of why nutrition is so important for your horse, and also for you and me. Antoinette busts some myths about all things nutrition, like lucerne, and fermented hay, and gives us some really great foundations to understand when we are choosing feed for our horses, what we should be thinking about, and how many questions we should be asking. Antoinette and I could have talked for days on so many topics, such as her wealth of knowledge. So if there's something specific you'd like her to cover, please let me know, and I'll definitely record it for you for a future episode. But for now, Simply enjoy everything that is Antoinette Foster. Antoinette, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Could you first tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, Look, I originally started in human nutrition. That's quite a long time ago. I've been a practitioner now for almost 30 years, which, uh, yes, it's a while. Um, So I... I love, of course, nutrition as a whole. And uh, at the time when I studied nutrition in South Australia, so I'm originally from Adelaide, uh, there was not much available, of course, for uh, equine. So that's where I started and then sort of progressed just continually studying. I think in total I've done probably, well, I have done eight years of, of study. Uh, so I, I moved from human which is still there and very important to me, across to equine nutrition, which was a, a US-based course. And then I've studied herbal medicine, mineral salt therapy, uh, amino acid therapy. Uh, I've also done recently, actually in 2015, did a um, 
another nutritional therapy course, uh, which was a genetics-based course. I have a real love of genetics and a real love of, of anything that's to do with DNA and particularly interested in the gut microbiome, which, which of course, we'll talk about hopefully today. But um, You're yeah, exciting me so thing. much. All these words, I love <laughs> microbiome. So that's, you know, pretty much uh, briefly. Certainly, uh, I feel that uh, it, it's something I've been really passionate about. I mean, obviously, I love horses and I love the connection that we can make with our horses. It's pretty important if you're lucky enough to do that. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, I guess, um, in a nutshell. Um, I'm, I'm really termed as a, as a human nutritional therapist and equine nutritional therapist and medical herbalist. So that's, you know, I have a diploma in, in uh, nutritional therapy. Yeah. Wonderful. God, I look forward to diving deeper into this, but we're going to start <laughs> at the beginning. Did you sure. grow up with horses? Uh, I suppose yes and no. Um, I, I always had a real passion because my my mum and dad used to ride, so there was already a, a bit of a link there. And I was look, I got quite keen, and I remember my my dad and my mum bought me, or I don't think they actually bought. I think they leased a little pony for me when I was maybe about five. So probably about eight or nine. So I guess I didn't really start riding until then, but I, I did start and I remember going to She Oak Hill Riding School in, in Belair in South Australia and, and learning to ride and sort of from there just kind of progressed and I, I became pretty passionate about getting a bit more serious about riding. So uh, I think it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 that I actually really had my own horse that, was, that I could call my own which was Montana, who turned out to be a bit of a naughty Palomino mare. <laughs> yeah. Palominos, they're the ones that look good, but always there's something under the surface. What yeah. kind of riding did you love to do when you were younger? Um, look, I think I had a really dear friend of mine uh, who's still, I'm very fortunate to say, she's still one of my closest friends. And I've known her for a very long time. I, I met her in uh, grade three, so it's, it's quite a long time. Wow. Uh, we So we were we went to the same pony club and I think we just sort of did everything. We used to do a bit of jumping, a bit of games. Uh, dressage wasn't really high on the list. I used to love watching dressage, but it wasn't really high on the list. And as I got further along, I started to get quite interested in dressage, which is, which is something that I'm, I'm, I'm doing these days. But um, in between, uh, I got also very involved in the quarter horse scene, particularly in, in South Australia. And, my mum and dad actually had a couple of stallions at Stardom. So we used to sort of really compete in everything, anything and everything. In those days, your quarter horses had to do everything. So it wasn't just Western, it was Bridal Path Hack, which is now sort of Hunter Under Saddle. Uh, we used to do hacking, we used to, we even raced the stallion. Uh, we used to do everything. So uh, quite an interesting background, but probably, to be honest, not a lot of really formal education and I didn't really have a I suppose a lot of formal training until much later on particularly in dressage mm. and did you study nutrition straight out of school uh, pretty much I was uh, about 18 when I, I studied so I, I mean I have to tell it, it's quite an interesting story which sort of drove me to do it mm. uh, was my my dad as I said was a horseman and we had a property in the Adelaide Hills at that time and I remember it was when Thoramix came out and uh, in, it was advertised in Hoofs and Horns magazine. Anyone who knows me 
well would know the story. But um, so I just, as a 15, 16 year old, I, I went out and I just ordered this bag of Thuramix and, and my dad came up to the feed room and he said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's this fantastic new feed. You know, it's got everything in it. You don't have to put any chaffs, you know, there's nothing. He said, send it back. And I said, but why? He said, who wants to be in charge of feeding your horse, you or a total stranger? And that was a bit of a, a driver for me. I thought, oh. wow, that really made so much sense because well done, what he Dad. did say was true. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you don't have control. So I think at that stage, I, I'd always been really interested in nutrition and I, I was doing uh, vet nursing just, you know, on the weekends and a couple of nights while I was still at school. Uh, and I, I was thinking about going uh, to university and becoming a vet, but I, I think it just kind of enlightened me working as a vet nurse that made me, made me shift my approach. And I really wanted to become a complementary therapist rather than, uh, you know, a vet. So that's where it led me to, to nutrition. Wonderful. And you originally studied human nutrition. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I have a diploma in, in, in human nutrition and I, I think um, but obviously a lot more diplomas since then, but I think, for me, it was that there was nothing around ultimately for equine nutrition that was definitive, that was, was also what I wanted, which was an individualised approach to nutrition. And so over the years, I've developed a lot more into that area, obviously studied courses that were more geared that way, so more so nutritional therapy in particular, which, which really looks at a way of using nutrition as primarily medicine and, you know, use it because it's just so powerful. I think a lot of people don't realise how powerful nutrition is for both animal and human. So I just thought, well, I've got to do something. So that's where I started. And then from there, obviously, I sort of progressed and went to, I did a study or course in the US. Um, and very sadly, that particular college was shut down it was run by a couple of amazing innovative vets but it was shut down because they were so far ahead of their time and that was all about individualized nutrition which was right up my alley so um yeah so that that's look human nutrition i think gives you if anyone ever asks me oh how do i get into equine nutrition i always say well you know what uh, your best bet is to look at a really good course such as nutritional therapy or naturopathy or um, clinical uh, nutrition because that's that's going to give you a really good basis to to start from and, and a really good solid education and then from there you know you can uh, convert that to uh, to really whatever you want because you know really if you've got that knowledge you can pretty much do whatever you whatever you'd like to whichever field in, in animal nutrition you would want to do. How much change do you have to make in the crossover from human to equine when you're working in the nutritional therapy side of things? Well, I guess the main thing is that obviously, as we know, horses are strict herbivores and we are primarily carnivores, although you know, obviously some people are, are vegans and they don't eat, eat meat, etc. But um, there's not a lot of difference between how things work in the body of a human or an animal, particularly a dog, cat, a horse. Yeah, you have to be mindful of the fact that they are herbivores and they are strict herbivores. So that means strict herbivores is... is a category, it's a bit like cats, you know, cats are strict carnivores and we could talk uh, on another subject in that area as far as uh, what, what there is in the market 
that uh, cats are being fed. Oh, don't and, even get me started. Uh, Mine's got yeah. an addiction at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and in, in many cases, because they are strict carnivores, of course, a lot of those products are just not suitable. That's a little bit similar in the equine industry as well. So we have to be very mindful that they are an animal that really does require, it's not a complicated way of feeding, but they really do require primarily a very high level of roughage. That's probably the most important aspect of keeping that digestive system and gut microbiome healthy. So, yeah. But it's not that, you know, it's not that difficult. I mean, I mean, obviously I've done a, a really extensive equine nutrition course too, in fact, but um, to have all that knowledge prior to doing that, it was just amazing for me personally because it just it allowed me to, to use my knowledge that I already had and I could see so much more beyond the course, you know what I mean? I could see how much more I can actually do by utilising my studies uh, and just expand on that and, and, and make it, I guess, a little bit more, oh, what's probably the word, not, not so much dynamic, but, but I suppose also more accessible too to, uh, to horse owners to be able to re-relate that knowledge to them and give them, I guess, empower them too. I always like them to make their own decision ultimately. You, you give them the information and hopefully they'll make the right choice. Oh, that's a beautiful way to be as well because, <clears throat> excuse me, because there's so much intuition that goes in in the end and there's those moments that as the horse mm -hmm. owner you have to trust your gut because you've got the connection to the horse to be yeah. able to make those decisions. I love that, that you're empowering people. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's a really good... I, I think I, because we're not, um, you know, before we started this today, I mentioned that none of my staff in my company, I don't have any sales staff. We all have qualifications and degrees. And I think that also does set us apart a bit because we really are so more concerned about the animal's health and well-being as being that's that's our priority always. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you're able to give information to horse owners, then you would hope that perhaps they would make their own choices and decisions and that they'll be good ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, back to the human to Ooh. horse um, comparison because the horses have uh, two guts, don't they? No. No? no. Do they, no. What is the, is the, you, they're you, behind? Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, so, sorry, yes. So, um, look, uh, it's it's yes it is quite different there's no doubt uh, that there is a distinctive difference between the human digestive system and the horse's digestive system for sure it but fascinates more, me um, that there's so many differences and so many similarities it's incredible yeah i mean the other thing too when you look at the horse's digestive system it has if we think about the size of the horse you know the horse say an average 500 550 kilo weight horse the the whole digestive system would actually fit into you know your standard black garbage bag and that's pretty amazing if you think about it because the stomach is actually really only the size of a standard um, Woolworths shopping bag. And we all know how big that is, not very big. Mm. And this is where there is this, I guess, constant issue with overfeeding horses. Uh, it's very common. It's a worldwide phenomenon, definitely, having travelled extensively overseas and, and done a lot of... Um, you know, assessments of horses internationally, it is a common, a common denominator. So that people do overfeed their horse. And if you think about the size of the stomach, 
I think most importantly, the, system, the digestive system, I always say that whoever developed or, or invented the horse's digestive system must have been on drugs <laughs> because it really is a very impractical system if it is not treated with respect. Mm. So, and this is the problem with modern day feeding is that we are, I guess, entering a, an era where there is change and people are realising that a lot of these modern-day feeding concepts really are not suited to the horse's digestive system and that, that that type of feed or the way that people are feeding is actually creating more issues, so actually creating a hostile uh, gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome is not just as... The, the, the name would suggest is not just related to the gut, it's related to so many other aspects of the horse's health and well-being, as it is with a human, dog, cat, elephant, doesn't matter, you know, the gut microbiome, we all have a gut microbiome. And mm. the gut microbiome, a lot of these amazing studies now, uh, which is, I suppose, taking our knowledge to a different level, and that is that it's associated with the gut-brain access, it's associated with immune function, skin health, anxiety, behavioural patterns, all this sort of things, all related to the gut microbiome. So it's not just whether or not uh, what you put in affects the digestive system. The gut microbiome controls a lot more than that. And that's across species as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Do you want to make sure you're feeding your elephant the right food, hey? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's interesting because uh, when you look at, um, so the human body, the genes in our gut microbiome actually outnumber the genes in our genome by 100 to 1. So the gut microbiome is often, is often called the second genome. That's actually what it's often called. Um, so it's quite interesting. You really have to be very mindful and very careful as to what you do feed the horse. But it really is also very, very simple and very basic because, you know, even though we say, yes, if you don't treat it with respect, you can obviously have lots of issues. But very importantly, if you do treat the digestive system with respect, then you will find that a lot of problems and issues that you might have had with your horse will just dissipate, they'll disappear. Wow. So For example... Um, so very importantly, and, and obviously we, we never name any product or brand because it's not ethical to do so, mm -hmm. but the majority of feeds worldwide, it's not just Australia, worldwide, contain a very high level of what we term as byproduct, which I'm sure you know what a byproduct is. So it's the, mm. it's the second part of a two-part process, production process. So it's basically what's left over. And interestingly enough, when uh, because I'm a product formulator and I formulate a range of feeds for a, a company, which is a natural range, uh, so when you're looking as a formulator to produce a feed, for example, my always I will take the the raw materials that are suited to the species, and that's how I will achieve my uh, roughage, fat content, energy, etc. Um, so protein, for example. So those four main ones that, that we tend to, I guess, think about more, apart from your vitamins, minerals, etc. So when you look at a byproduct, um, you can ma maybe use, as an example, say, soy hulls, uh, 
or any hull for that matter, lupin hull, whatever it might be, lupins, um, beet-based products, all of these are fitting into that category of byproducts, which if you think about it logically, the horse has evolved to, to consume a high roughage diet and that is a natural high roughage diet because remembering that they used to roam in pastures and, and they would uh, eat a lot of native grasses depending on where they were located. They would often pick on some herbs because they, they knew what they did and did not need as they're quite clever in that respect. But they are perpetual grazing animals. So we know that, that grasses and, and pasture, hay, etc., are absolutely vital to the horse's gut microbiome and long-term health and well-being. So if we start to integrate ingredients like the multitude of byproducts, and that can be some that I mentioned, it can be bran, it can be pollard, it can be copra, whatever, whatever, you know, it's a long list of things. Mm. And when you integrate that into the horse's diet, this is where I believe you have created that hostile environment for the gut microbiome. So you're not giving the horse what may look like specifications wise might look quite healthy as far as the level of fat roughage protein megajoules of digestible energy might look quite good on paper but when you actually look at the ingredients itself then that's just um a whole minefield in yeah my yeah and that's really important i talk about that a lot with um my man when he goes to choose food for the children he goes but look the sugar's really low I'm like yeah but let's read the ingredients we've read the yeah. table let's go to the ingredients what's actually in there what nutrition yeah. is actually there and that's what you're saying that those byproducts give no nutritional value and well, not, not the roughage the horses need I guess it's not that they they, they do um, theoretically give some nutritional value but byproducts are very cheap to use, so therefore it's it's cost effective to use these in horse feeds and dog foods and cat foods, etc. So it's not that they don't have any, um, you know, fibre, fat, protein, energy, but it's it's the type of ingredient that we're talking about, which really, if we look at the horse's anatomy and physiology, it's not changed in thousands of years. I mean, it, the horse has got larger. But at the end of the day, they still chew and grind their feed in the same way. They still need to be able to, at the point of the mouth, take a product or grass or hay or whatever into the mouth and chew and grind it to start to get that enzymatic action going, that saliva action going. Because if, for example, you feed a product that is a byproduct, which is often a powder or, or mushy, soft form, you don't encourage that normal chewing and grinding process. And when it does reach that hindgut for fermentation, it's actually not fully digested. So along the way, and it's a pretty long process, I think it's around about 72-hour process from start to finish before it starts to actually go out the other end using a nice, delicate way. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's a long process. We've got metres and metres of intestine, small and large intestine. And if the digestibility is not suited to the species as such, then you are really creating a problem with the horse. And that's not short-term, that's long-term, because obviously that's going to keep going. So we do and certainly have noticed that worldwide and in Australia as well, that the amount of roughage that's, that's fed to horses is not high enough. And when we look at the situation that a lot of people are in at the moment where we are in severe drought, Mm. that does 
I guess, provide a bit of a challenge for, for horse owners, etc., because it's hard to mimic what is a natural process for the horse. So often you know, using a round bale or with a slow feeder on it or just making sure that the horse is getting hay at least four times a day when the pasture is very poor. So because they are continual grazers, they're continual consumers, then it's important to be aware that you need to provide that to maintain that healthy gut microbiome. Mm. And when we continually feed things like that, can we cause things like an autoimmune disease in horses? I'm really interested because there's so yeah. much about autoimmune diseases and leaky guts and things in humans from the poor quality of nutrition we've got. Does that yeah. kind of thing happen in a horse's gut? One, 100%. In fact, that we, we actually are just embarking in the very near future because we're registered for research and development in Australia. We're starting a ulcer study, which is uh, related to the gut microbiome. And we do have a gut, a smart gut test. Um, as I said previously, I'm very interested in genetics and mm. I work with a, a genetic, genetic scientist uh, since, I have worked with her since about 2010. Um, so, so both human and animal. So the gut microbiome test is for both human and animal, it doesn't matter what species. So we're looking at how the, the state of the bacteria in the gut can impact on the potential for horses to have uh, dysbiosis, leaky gut syndrome or ul develop ulcers, for example. So we know that with performance horses in particular that the, the level of ulcer diagnosis is roughly around about 85 to 95%. Wow. And we know that absolutely, you know, autoimmune diseases, um, metabolic syndrome, anything like that, we know that there's no doubt that nutrition has that much power to support the body overall that if we cut corners that we are going to create a, um, an unpleasant situation and I think very importantly we have to remind ourselves too that we are 100% responsible for our horses so our horses can't say you know what <clears throat> excuse me you know what I don't I don't really want to eat that because I don't really like that mum mm. <laughs> but we we don't um we don't ask them any questions because they kind of can't answer and we are responsible for them. So we're responsible for their health and well-being. And I, we try to, I guess, educate people to understand that it's not a difficult process to make that change to improve the horse's health. And it's a really easy, easy, logical step to take. It's not hard. I wanted to tell you a little bit about one of our Patreon subscribers, Belinda Dawes from Journey Equine. She does positive horse training and coaching. So Belinda's not only a wonderful positive reinforcement coach, but she's the type of person that you want around your horses because she's calm. She's so beautiful and she's so calm and she's very intuitive as to what your horses needs. She's able to step back and assess the situation and know where to head with your horse. She's worked with Hannah Weston and Rachel Beddingfield of Connection Training. She is a Connection Training teacher and she's got some wonderful skills to give and I'm very glad that she gives them to me and my horses as well. You can connect with Belinda through journeyequine.com. That's the best place to find her on her website. You'll also find her on her Facebook and her Instagram and her Twitter account at Journey Equine. And those links are in the show notes. In the end, if we 
transition to a, a different type of feeding, does it cost us more or less compared to all the bagged feeds that we're racking up? Look, I, I totally cost a one hundred percent cost you less, and I think the the easy explanation for that is that nutritionally the value is much much higher because we know that firstly they're going to be able to digest and utilize it more efficiently because it's what they should be eating, but secondly the quality is always a lot better. So I think all in all you are over a period of time, I always say it probably takes maybe two to three months to transition from a poor diet to a, a, a high nutritional value diet. And, and definitely there's no doubt that the horse's health will improve quite dramatically over that period and your cost structure will come down and the ease of feeding will be reduced substantially too. And that's the other thing, we don't have a lot of time I'm sure you're the same. I know my time constraints with all the aspects of my businesses are, are very limited. And I only have one horse, so, you know, what's my excuse? But I only have one horse. But even still, there's no doubt that you, you don't have the hours in the day that I think you used to have. I think we, we're leading very busy lives. So mm. our animals sometimes get a little bit left, not, not neglected, that's not the word I'm using, but but perhaps because it's a bit easier to, to pop in a feed that apparently is going to give the horse everything. But really it can't because every horse is uniquely different and biochemically different. And if you pick any bag of feed that says, well, you know, feed this thoroughbred that's doing maybe five hours a week or whatever, it needs three or four kilos a day. But you see not every thoroughbred doing five hours a week is going to need that level of feed. Mm. So once you start to drop that down, say, to half, then the nutrient levels in that bag of feed drop too. So it means that the horse then is not getting what it needs. And there's no doubt that that's, there's kind of a big gap there between, um, I guess, being in control, like my dad said, being in control and not being in control. Yeah, and I've learnt um, recently the difference between calories and nutrition um, very much so. So I used to feed my horses a lot less um, with the nutritionist, the, the nutritional bucket feeds, um, but now yes. I feed them every day. Um, yep. and I've reduced the size of what I'm feeding, but the, the amount of nutrition that's in it, they're losing weight and looking fantastic. I'm an overfeeder, mm. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was an overfeeder. I'm not anymore. Um, yeah, and yeah. that was just through thinking, oh, the grass is long, that they'll be good on it. And um, then yeah. I won't need to feed as much to the bucket feeds. And what I've learned yeah. lately is that, okay, we actually need to reverse that. Keep them on pasture, but not the long stuff. Give them a couple of hours of the long pasture a day and actually bucket feed the nutrition in. And it's changing everything about them. Yeah, and of course, the big thing is is plenty of hay. And, and I think... Um, depending on where you're located and, and how accessible hays are. There's lots of different varieties that you can use, but I'm, I'm a great lover of legumes. I love loosened hay or alfalfa, as its real correct term is. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's the most beautiful hay. Because I know, so many people are scared of it though as well. Yeah, which is ridiculous because, you know, when you look at loosened loosen hay is one of those ones that, has that amazing nutritional value but also has the ability to actually reduce acidity in the horse's gut so it's an interesting one it's it's also quite high in calcium 
It uh, is very low in NSC, so sugars and starch. It's, it's very high in protein, but at the end of the day, it's actually a, a really good one to feed uh, horses that do suffer from EMS. And because with those horses, they need a good level of protein, but they don't, they don't require, or they shouldn't have, shall I say, a high level of sugar and starch. They do require a little bit more fat than what Lucent provides, but that's easy to do. And then even with your laminitic cases, this is a great feed to give because with laminitis, generally speaking, unless it's stress laminitis, but generally speaking, they are often overweight. So you're not going to be feeding a lot. And you then have this beautiful natural product that is naturally low in sugar and starch, has a good level of protein and is very nutritious, nutritious as far as that value is concerned. So it's a great one to feed. People should not be scared of feeding loosened hay at all. I wonder where that started, but we, God, we can't even imagine where that started, but that does the rounds and has been for many, many years. But every time yeah. that I talk to an actual nutritionist, they all say there is no need to be scared of loose and we have no idea how this started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, if we think about the advantages of loosen, and as I said, the, the fact that it could actually improve gastric ulcers in horses is, is incredible because things like you know there's a lot of this fermented hay and and they, i'm not a fan of fermented hay because there is that possibility of um yeah for one of the i suppose salmonella or whatever mm. um, i'm not a fan of fermented hay personally i like the fact that uh, horses have not evolved to eat fermented hay so therefore once again you sort of put that on that list too it's not i'm not a fan and I think um, because they're a hindgut fermenter, you would sort of have to ask the question, well, if you're feeding fermented hay, well, maybe the horse may not be able to deal with that, being that they are a hindgut fermenter. So it's almost, it's almost doing the work before it gets to the hindgut. Do you understand mm, what I'm saying? So I'm yeah. not a fan of that. Um, and I think, again, when you are giving the horse a product such as hay, loose and hay, whatever it might be, they are going to spend the time chewing and grinding the feed. And therefore, that wonderful saliva build-up, that whole process through the digestive system, when it does reach the hind gut for fermentation, it is pretty much, you know, most probably about 85 90% fully digested. And that's, that's an absolute bonus. So... That's where I always say roughage is king because it is king. There's no doubt. If you supply sufficient roughage in the right form, then you will really improve the horse's gut microbiome and you will reduce the risk of ulcers. 100% you will. So as I said, worldwide, you look at horses in Europe in particular, they are in many cases boxed 24-7 and they are not being provided with sufficient hay throughout the day and night. So that's already creating a hostile environment. Mm. Yeah, it's a big one and it's, um, it's another one like the loose and hay. It's, it's, mm. I'm amazed that that hasn't got worldwide yet, that it hasn't gone around the world yet because it's so important and they're starting to find more and more that um, yeah. you cannot deny a horse grazing no matter where it is you're keeping them. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's one of my fans. I mean, it's, it's easy. There's, there's only... Um, there's only one feed in the market that is uh, completely free of byproducts and and contains 
ingredients that are suited to the species. There's only one. There's, there's no other feed apart from that. And when you go overseas internationally, you really can't find anything that is anywhere near what you would term as a natural feed that is suited to the species. So when you think about that, it, it means that there's a lot of feeds in the market and, and there's a lot of confusion as well. So a lot of clients of ours, they will contact us and say, oh, look, you know, I'm feeding this brand of feed and because I can't feed any grain and the feed store guy said I, I should use this because it'll keep my horse nice and calm. And then you have to tell them, uh, yeah, but I'm sorry, but it's got oats and barley in it. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't. No, it does. If you have a look on the website and look up the feed, you'll see it's got oats and barley. And it's interesting, a lot of the time you, you will have horse owners saying, oh, no, I can't feed grain to my horse. But, you know, that, again, is a little bit of a, a myth. Even with oats, I'm sure you've heard that a lot of people say, oh, no, I can't feed oats. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, you know, oats are fantastic. They are the only grain you can feed whole because they can actually chew and grind the hull of that particular grain. And very importantly, uh, again, a little bit lower in starch and, um, and sugars, but very easily digested because they can actually utilise the whole grain. So you don't have to crush it, crimp it, whatever. They can actually use their teeth and chew and grind that. So I, I really love oats. Oats are great. I think they're a fantastic feed to give to a horse that, that needs it. Again, it does depend on the individual case. It is a case-by-case basis. It's the same with human nutrition. We would do the same with our, with our human patients. Same thing. It's a case-by-case. Everyone's an individual and every horse is an individual. So we have to treat them that way, you know, with respect and, and treat them that way. Mm. And so I understand nutritional therapy. So using nutrition as medicine itself and you also do, you're also a medical herbalist as well. Yeah. So can you treat most issues? Tell me the kinds of issues in a horse that you can treat with nutrition and herbs. Um, look, I think what, what's great is, and where I, I think at this point it's really, it would be really important to, to tell you all to, so that uh, listeners can, I guess, get a bit of a handle on this too. And, and that is that you know, when, when a horse owner is looking for advice on nutrition or managing a particular condition in a horse, the first port of call might be to do a search on Google, uh, maybe ask a friend, maybe ask a feed company or a farrier or, or most importantly, probably a veterinarian. And I think the obvious place for most people to, to get health advice is definitely a vet. I think you probably agree with that. That's, that's, yes. that's because, you know, they have uh, great knowledge in, in the area of, of animal health. But the problem is that there is limited education in the area of equine nutrition in a veterinary degree. So if we think about that, unless the vet has actually extended their degree and done specialised equine nutrition, they don't actually have a lot of knowledge in that area. So mm-hmm. it's a bit like me saying, oh, well, I can give veterinary advice. Well, no, I can't because I'm not a vet, but mm-hmm. I can certainly give nutritional advice. So I think the question is, well, would you take your horse to a friend around the corner who wasn't qualified in massage or whatever and, and let them massage your horse? And I think it's the same, well, would you do the same with nutrition? So to make sure that, that horse owners are balancing their feed ration and making sure that 
vitamins, minerals are obviously suited to that particular horse, then I feel it's very important to, to take the time to, to seek out a qualified nutritionist to, you know, who, knows, who knows their stuff, who is actually seriously qualified and can give you that advice. That's and it saves thing. you so much money in the long run. Absolutely it does. So when it comes to looking at um, treating and managing certain conditions, with, with us uh, and with me in particular, um, yes, I do use a combination of nutritional therapy and uh, herbal medicine because they actually work really well because really nutritional therapy kind of embraces a whole lot of modalities. It, it, it actually does embrace a complementary therapy in the sense that it certainly does include the use of, of herbs and mineral salt therapy, etc. Um, so it does use um, the use of, of specific vitamins and amino acids and minerals as well. So uh, I think with conditions and ailments that we can manage and, and treat, look, it's, um, it's kind of um, a, lot of, a lot of different um, conditions. Probably the most common would be osteoarthritis, I guess that would be the most common because it's very common in both human and animal and, and horses in particular is quite common. And age doesn't really um, suggest when a horse may contract uh, an osteoarthritic condition. So they could, you know, maybe develop arthritis as a two-year-old right through to whatever age. You know? so that, and I, I think very importantly, people need to understand too that a condition such as arthritis is not a death sentence. It's actually very manageable in probably 90% of cases. And, of course, we know that with humans, and that activity is really important. So we want to stimulate that blood flow. We want to keep them moving because the more activity, the better chance they have of actually being able to just lead a very normal life. And in the case of horses, it's the same thing. So we, we like to give them every opportunity. Now, there's never a guarantee because... You can't, whether you're a vet or a nutritionist or whatever, you can never guarantee it. But we certainly would suggest that it, it's very likely that we can have a really positive impact on those cases. But we do manage and treat a lot of different situations in horses. So um, string halts, one which we've had great success with over a very long period of time. Uh, equimetabolic syndrome as well. So Cushing's disease, these sorts of things. Uh, PSSM polysaccharide storage is another one. And you know, we do have great success. Any sort of tendon ligament damage, things like that. So it, it's quite amazing what you can do. And we also work a lot with vets. We have a mm -hmm. lot of vets who refer to us because we can offer, I guess, a lot more extends way beyond nutrition. So, But I would also just say that nutrition is for me and, and for anyone involved with me, is the priority because it's amazing if you can get that right, then uh, you are supporting the body and the body has a much bigger opportunity of fighting disease and with a strong immune system, we know that if we have that, we really can beat off a lot of diseases and conditions in, in the horse's body. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. If you uh, if you go down with the cold, you know, you wouldn't sit there and eat hot chips all day. You'd actually start yeah. you know, sipping lemon tea and doing all the things to bring yourself yes. back up because you know how important nutrition is to healing everything. So it well, makes sense yeah. for horses I mean, to do the same. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, it's interesting you say that because I, I do also feel that there is a little bit of a gap between uh, horse owners and their approach to their own personal nutrition. Yeah, I was going to ask about that horses. because so many of us <laughs> were talking about this before. So many yeah. horse people will go into the barn and they will create these beautiful elaborate feeds to do everything for their horses and then go in and eat pot noodles. Yes, and, exactly. Um, so how important is it for us to have great nutrition as well? Well, it, again, I think it's absolutely essential and I think it's not difficult to achieve. I just think it's more that you need, again, to get the right advice that, that suits you as an individual. And we know that if we are not functioning at, I mean, we never are going to be 100% because who is, but if we're not functioning as close to 100% as possible, then how are we supposed to manage our horse effectively? How are we supposed to step on that horse and ride that horse every day? And, and you know, if we are training, whether it be dressage, whatever, or if we're just having a lot of fun and just doing pleasure riding, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that nutritional aspect is just so important to horse riders. And I, I really do believe that it's just been a, a bit lost along the, or lost in translation. I think people don't realise how important it is. And, you know, when you go to an event, for example, most of the food at these events are fast food. Yeah. And sadly, it's something that really does go against my brain big time because I think there is a need to educate horse riders into a much healthier way. And I'm not talking about diets because as a nutritionist, there are lots of diets out there and they simply are not suited to most people. So, you know, keto is one uh, that that sometimes mm, I just, well, I cringe because there's just a lot of different diets and, and approaches to, to health out there which really don't get to the heart of the problem. And I think that's, that's the issue there. You need to, to look at the individual and to ascertain what is going on and then you, from there, you know, you can make a plan. And a plan also, I think, as a horse rider, and look, I, I know myself, my, my personal experience, I had a bad fall off my horse a few years ago and I had to have shoulder surgery. And I couldn't ride for 18 months. And, of course, as I'm sure you can understand, when I went to get back on my horse, my confidence, which had been right up there, had just dropped to the floor. So, And that in its own has a terrible impact on your body mentally and physically. So if you're not supporting your body nutritionally, you're going to really struggle to get through something like that. People don't realise how much power nutrition has on every, every aspect of your health. So for me personally, that was a massive challenge, you know, coming back from a fall like that. And it was a freak accident. So it wasn't my horse's fault. My horse didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to buck Antoinette off today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, again, you know, we, we do, it's about making a plan. And a plan also means uh, a really good training program for for your fitness, so your your core strength in particular. So, you know, it doesn't matter what your passion might be in that area. If you love Pilates, like I love Pilates, um, if you just like going to the gym, whatever it might be, or the treadmill um, and riding, you throw that in as well. That's great. But riding on its own doesn't give you what you need for 
core strength and because we use very different muscles when we ride to what we use perhaps at the gym or doing Pilates. So I think we need to make a plan and the plan involves an overall approach to managing your health. So that means not just nutrition, but, but nutrition being the most, or the, I guess the key point, but then beyond that, um, your mental and physical uh, approach to riding as well. Mm-hmm. And the more you, I guess, hone those skills, the, the better you will be, not just as a rider, it's more just being around the horse. And again, that sort of communication, but also observation is so important. So, to, to, so you know, you learn more about your horse. So if something does happen and, you know, if you look, you wake up in the morning, you walk out there and you, you see one horse standing there thinking, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't, look, that doesn't look right this morning. And you really do learn very quickly how to pick up on that. So you know instantly there's something not right. And mm. that is, a, I guess, a, again, um, a, a process that you learn because you need to take time to, to spend more time. That's the thing, if, if you can. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. I have to pause here for one second. Sure. Antoinette, I know myself with um, my own nutrition that my own gut microbiome has everything to do with my mood, how clearly I think. That's why I really love what it is that you're doing because I can tell when I eat some crappy foods or foods that are hard for me to digest, I just miss stuff in my life Mm -hmm. and I don't feel the same. I get really cross and things like that. So um, and my head doesn't think clearly, and I miss things with the kids and the horses that I normally would have got. So this is why I love that you're working with human nutrition as much as you do with the horse's nutrition because it goes completely towards our own, um, not just physical state, but our emotional state and our ability to connect with our horses on a deep level. Mm, yeah, definitely. That's a, I mean, so it's a, it's a, it's a good point. And I think as we go further down into the research with uh, the gut microbiome, and look, uh, interestingly too, we, uh, we also do genetic testing. We do nutrigenomics testing, which actually looks at uh, determining your precise gene type. And when you look at the gene types, there's three groups, A, B, and C, and there's an A, 1A2, B1B2, C1, C2. And we are one of those six types. So anyone in the world is one of those six types. For example, the B1 is the most common. It's about 55 to 65% of the worldwide population. And a lot of that uh, is um, more, I guess, I suppose, European um, uh, ancestry primarily Mm -hmm. seems to be. What's interesting about the nutrigenomics, and, and this is where it sort of ties in with, uh, sadly we don't have it for horses just yet, there is uh, quite a lot of study, but we've certainly used a lot of what we have learnt about nutrigenomics and the study of nutrigenomics, which, of which there's like, oh, I don't know how many, 20, 30,000 studies now on nutrigenomics. It is, the reason why I'm talking about it is it's very important because this is really scientifically determining precisely what you as an individual needs nutrition-wise. Ah, so this is where diet comes into play and this is where all yeah. the other diets that are out there have come from. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating because when you have determined your specific gene type, for example, I mean, I'm a, I'm a C1 and my partner's a C1, but he can have carbohydrates till the cows come home but I can't. So there are some similarities with gene types, but this is uniquely you. So it, it, this is about determining your specific gene type and what you need. So mm. we look at about 120 genes and the panels that we look at is oxidative stress, phase one, phase two detox. So obviously that's toxicity, liver function, etc. Um, heart health, diabetes, um, vitamin, hormone, um fat metabolism fat composition it is quite an amazing incredible test and so what we've used i guess and what we've utilized from the learnings we've gained from nutrigenomics and taken that across to equine nutrition is we we know that nutrition can actually turn gene expression they can switch genes on and off they can switch gene expression on and off and we would be foolish to think that that doesn't happen with all species. It's not just people, it's, it's any animal. So we know that how powerful nutrition can be in that regard. And then if we wow. use it with our horses, we know that really logically speaking, I guess the great thing about horses is that they don't lie. So we know if they're not right, if things are not like you were talking about with your horses where uh, you were giving them too much feed. And if we see body changes that are negative or positive, we, we know that, okay, there's something going on there. But, but we also know that they can't lie to us. They're not dishonest. So if they're actually grumpy and sore or whatever it might be, they're grumpy and sore. Yes. And we also know that horses behaviourally do, do not, or it's not in their makeup is probably a better way to describe it, to be difficult or be naughty. We know that, that behaviour-wise, most of those problems that we've experienced are either man-made or they are associated directly with pain. Mm -hmm. And I think also pain is at the number one spot of, of my list as far as the amount of times it is not noticed. And we know you could be riding your horse one day and everything's going beautifully and the next day you get on and like, well, oh, I really don't want to go forward. Maybe the tail is switching, something's going on. And in most cases, pain is missed. It's completely missed. It's not something that actually people think about, but it's crazy not to think about it because how many people in the world today have not experienced pain? No one, no one can put their hand up and say, I've never had any pain in my life because that's ridiculously untrue. Yes. So I think for us to think the same about horses and, you know, you look at the anatomy and physiology of a horse, it's really not designed to do what we ask them to do. Mm. You know, it's just not. I mean, and then we have to add not just a bridle and a saddle, but a rider. They've got to balance with us on their back. And then we ask them to do things like gaff, massage, jump a fence, whatever it might be, run a race. But they're really not built to do that but their heart is amazing and i'm sure you know because you obviously have a great affinity with your horses their heart is amazing their mm. heart is what carries them through and it's what we need to also treat with a lot of respect as well apart from the digestive system <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's absolutely beautiful so nutrition is such an absolutely essential part to the community that you need to build around your horses. We talk a lot here about it takes a village 
and you need a great hoof trimmer or farrier and you need a great body worker because we all need body workers no matter we do we're or human and nutrition is the other side that just has to be right for us mm. to be balanced and and our horses um need to change nutrition as things change within them you know as do we like i said if we get a cold we start sipping, sipping on lemon and oh. um you know and then it also helps to take inflammation out so if you've got bruising or swelling or things like that and if we're not doing those types of things for our horses then um we need to start thinking about whether or not it's something we can do yeah, and I think also we, we have to not complicate things either because mm. we have to remember that the horse, yes, it's got this, as I said previously, this delicate digestive system, but, but it's not delicate, like I said, if you, repeat, if you actually uh, do respect it and you, you provide the horse with the nutrients that are suitable for the horse to consume. And it's really not difficult to do that and it's, you know, honestly feeding horses is really simple. Mm. It's not rocket science. It's really, really simple. I just think what's happened over the, I suppose, 40, 50-odd years is that it's just been made really complicated by all these feed companies bringing these feeds out that, that appear to be on the surface of it as being a very simple, easy process. But in actual fact, it has, you know, there's some really good studies in, uh, in European countries in particular, which are clearly saying that modern day feeding is the direct link to the increase in ulcers. So wow. it's not just um, me saying it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know that, but but it is it is such a true comment because I feel, as I said, we we need to maybe just take a step back and really think long and hard about what it is we're putting in our horse's mouths because there needs, I mean, I'm not saying every, I mean, there's a lot of people, certainly people that we deal with that have made those positive changes and, and wow, I mean, the results are incredible. And yet, like I said, it's really simple. It's not difficult to achieve at all. Yeah, so it's simple, it's less expensive. It's, there's absolutely no negative here in any way. It's incredible. Mm, no, it's not. It's just a and lack of education and you've got to get through the apparent education coming from big feed companies, which is a little bit, bit more of marketing and a little bit less of education, in my personal opinion. Oh, I agree. I, I think um, certainly look what, what I've done because, as I said, look, I mean, I formulate for this feed that is the only one, to my knowledge, that is a truly natural product, but then I know what's in it, so therefore that's okay. But I think um, it's, it's about, definitely I agree, that a lot of the way that marketing has taken place with feeds and feed companies is, you know, might appear to be very glamorous and fantastic and easy and simple. But I just do feel that horse owners need to sit down and ask more questions i think the biggest problem is that they don't ask enough questions that they tend to believe those outside sources that i mentioned before and they maybe don't get the correct advice and i'm also not saying that every equine nutritionist is giving what would maybe be the best advice either. So I think that there are some some terrific nutritionists around and some that I have great respect for 
and they are certainly on the same page as we are. So that's that's fantastic. But there is only one page to be on. So it's you can't be on a different page because there's only one because this is what they are. This is the species they are and this is what they need to be fed. Mm. It's not really that difficult, is it? Mm, so we just have to get a lot smarter in the questions that we ask and the people that we bring into our team to be looking yeah. around our horses. Yeah, and I believe so. And then, and as I said, don't. I always say, don't be afraid to ask questions because if you if you get professional advice and you have confidence in those people that you're asking, then you're going to get uh, the information that you need. As I said, to make a decision and and make a change if you need to. I mean, look, in a lot of cases, they're maybe doing everything almost perfectly and there might just be a little bit of tweaking involved and that's yeah that that's certainly the case and also I would say here too that I would never say to any horse owner rider breeder trainer whatever that they don't have the knowledge because you know they've got life experience and they've got great knowledge being around their horses and and I know that they have many have a lot of knowledge as far as what they should and shouldn't feed. That's that's great. So it's not having um, a go at them because we don't expect everyone to be a nutritionist. I mean, I've specialised for years in nutrition, so it's it's a long road, and I never stop learning. And I'm always interested in. I read everything I can get my hands on. Read every single research article. Same with Erin. It's the same, and you know, Erin's young. She's only twenty four. Um, and she's a fantastic, like she's a, a really intuitive practitioner and I would like to think that I've always been the same too. So I do go a lot on my gut because mm. a lot of the time we can't see the horse physically because how can you? It could be yeah. anywhere in the world or around Australia. And so you do have to learn to be very smart and be very intuitive and um, get a feel for it. And not everyone can do that. You know, it's not, not an easy thing to to do mm. but I'm very grateful that I can do what I do and I still love what I do and I can help horses and and horse owners and make a, a hopefully make a really positive change for them mm. yeah it's absolutely fantastic and I believe you've got some workshops coming up that are really important because they're to do with the human as well yeah, we have uh, our first, and we believe it's the first ever rider and horse health clinic. It's a full day program, but we only have a very small number of spots available because what we are offering on the day is a private nutritional medicine consultation, which is an hour consultation per rider, um, a private consultation for their horse. And we have a rider assessment and osteopathic treatment. And this is done by Dr. Lane Shepherd. So my, I'm, I'm doing, and is Erin Roman and my other practitioner, doing the horse and the rider. And uh, that's the nutrition side. And then Dr. Lane Shepherd, who actually works with the Richmond Football Club as well. Uh, she's actually doing the rider horse health assessment. So she actually, and I've done this. And when I go back to talking about um, your own core strength and physical fitness, mental and physical fitness, mm. we how she does this is you you get on your horse, she assesses you riding and she sees, because she's a rider too, of course, and she sees the problems that uh, I guess are obvious to her. And then you have an osteo, osteo, osteopathy treatment 
and then you get back on your horse again. So the whole thing takes about 45 minutes to an hour. And this is per rider again. So again, it's, it's a private session. Um, and I know from my own personal experience, and I've got lots of issues with my lower back and my stupid shoulder and all sorts of things. And um, I know, look, my, it blew me away. I mean, she's the most amazing practitioner. And I, I do have another osteopath that I go to, but Lane is, is intuitive. It's down to that again. She just knows how to read the body so incredibly well. Mm. So that's the other session on the day. And then the final one is we've got a very small uh, three group, three persons per group Pilates for riders as well on the day. Wow. So it's a pretty amazing program. And, um, yeah, we're hoping that we can uh, share our knowledge with everybody and have a, have a fantastic, enjoyable day. Oh, that's incredible. And now if, and this is something that you're doing in it, it it's one of the first or the possibly the first ever done is this something that you can replicate around the world if if yeah we want to we, see it? yeah definitely we our plan is that this is the the first one and we're we've we feel that uh we we might have to spend more time on educating riders in in the things that we've been talking about mm. to to get them motivated i think there's a little bit of complacency there in that they they just don't think about themselves enough Mm. and I think that needs to change there needs to be a big shift because as we've discussed it's really important that you are on track yourself physically and mentally and health-wise so I I feel there's a lot of potential there and yeah we definitely are looking at maybe um, I guess replicating and, and then doing a series and probably integrating a few more different practitioners into uh, maybe a weekend clinic rather than just a one day. Mm. So, uh, but again, it's just it's education. It's it's actually getting people to understand the value of of an event like this for them personally and for their horse. Yeah, absolutely. That's so fantastic. Um, everyone can go to the show notes to find the links to those. Will they just? Is that available on your website and social media? Um, actually, it's. Uh, there, there is an event. Um, it's actually on the Facebook. So it's on Facebook. It's actually, actually an event there. So right. uh, there is a link to purchase um, tickets. There are no fence sitters. So you can't just turn up. It's, it's bookings only. And the cutoff date is the 10th of June. Mm-hmm. So we only have a very limited number of bookings available. Um, yes, I think we've only got six spots left. So that's it. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, but... Yeah, you can definitely, otherwise, uh, you can go to our human health website, which is Pro Sports Nutra, as N U T Nutra, A Genomics with an X dot com. And uh, you can just do a search for the Rider and Horse Health Clinic. But the event certainly is on the, uh, through social media as well. And I think it's on, on Instagram too. But um, the link is, is there, and you can obviously jump on that and, and hopefully book and look at the, the price is only 285 for the whole day wow that's and great the value is actually over 450 dollars between the four practitioners so you know we we generally charge for our first consultation for nutritional medicine and nutritional therapy we charge 150 dollars for the first consult yeah. um, and then lane charges 150 
uh, die, it's 65, um, and our nutritional equine nutritional consultation is around the $65 mark plus travel. So, you know, just about, that can vary depending on where we go. So uh, it's, it's great value and um, we'd love people to come along and, and experience it. And as I said, we're really quite excited to share the knowledge that we have and, and hopefully get people really thinking about their own health as much as their horse's health. Mm, absolutely fantastic. So everyone needs to get onto that one. Seriously, get down yeah. there. Get down yeah. there. And I look forward to when you start, you know, moving it around. Let me know and, uh, and we'll host you yeah, up here for sure. Yeah. That oh, would be amazing. Be. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We look forward to that too. So, Antoinette, thank you so much for your time today. And more importantly, thank you for everything that you do for horses on a daily basis. It's, it's amazing. And I just wanted to say that you're very much appreciated for the work and passion you've put into all these years with horses. Oh, thank you. That's really kind of you. And I've really enjoyed talking to you today. So, and I look forward to, uh, to doing it again in the future. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be meeting in one of those workshops up here. I'm looking forward Absolutely, to that. For sure. The event Antoinette talks about at the end of the interview has passed. However, if you follow the links in the show notes to all Antoinette's high form pages, her website and all of her social media, you can keep in touch with when it's happening next. Also, if you are in southeast Queensland and you are interested in this kind of an event, please let me know via email or my social media and we can get it organised up here. I'd love to run something like that up here. I think it's brilliant. And I'm happy to organise that if that's what you would like me to do. So get in touch. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you, as a subscriber, will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boosts the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend, tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. And I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.